DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you, Chris. It's so good to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity to kind of pray and reflect about this wonderful, wonderful book that Teresa of Avila has given us, This Interior Castle. It's such a great encouragement for prayer. It's safe to say, can't we, that she was the Mother Teresa. And, you know, now you have everybody, when we say Mother Teresa, we think of St. Teresa of Calcutta. But for centuries, when you said Mother Teresa, you knew people were talking about Teresa of Avila. Yep, I think that is true. The connection between the two with their deep love and devotion to Jesus. I mean, the ways of life they promoted were different. One contemplative, Teresa of Avila, this contemplative withdrawing just to be with Jesus and to giving your life totally in prayer to him. And Mother Teresa also emphasizing prayer, but along with prayer, emphasizing seeking Jesus and serving Jesus in the poorest of the poor, his presence in the poorest of the poor. So there's another way in which their doctrine and the way of life they each promoted is complementary and it penetrates each other. I, missionaries of charity, because they live in such a deep encounter with Jesus in the poorest of the poor, if you share the doctrine of interior castle with them, they respond, they recognize some of the things that Teresa of Avila speaks about because they've experienced it in their active life and their prayer life. At the same time, if a contemplative nun was to pick up a work about Teresa of Calcutta, for example, the work about her spiritual trial, they would understand that experience because they experience, those are experiences that happen in contemplative life too. So they're different, but they're complementary. There's points of contact with each vocation, just as there are points of contact with these two beautiful mystics. In the third mansion, chapter two, that we address the subject of aridity. And again, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, St. Teresa of Calcutta, has been widely recognized now as someone who has suffered from aridities in her prayer. Yes. And in here, she even says that sometimes she wonders whether or not she's still in in this particular mansion because of, of uh, some of the aridities she goes through from time to time. And of course, we know that she's ascended into very high parts of mystical union to God by this stage of her life. But she has so much empathy with those who are suffering through this time in their life. Let's talk about this particular period. 
Well, let me ask this first. You bring up a point that I've heard it said about the castle that you're maybe going in and uh, back and forth, that the person isn't just moving from one mansion to the other, that somehow you made it to the third, now you're going in the fourth, now you're going into the fifth. But in actuality, we kind of travel in different elements of that, don't we? I, I think you're right. I think this is a valid insight. The way I look at it is there's the dwelling places that you kind of rest in, or rather you're at home at, and then there's the dwelling places that you visit. And so you might be at home with, let's say, you know, these that we're talking about, you might have experience in Typically, you experience dryness and aridity in prayer. Typically, you tend to complain about the trials that happen. You think they're a lot worse than they actually are. And that might be where you are most of the time. But every once in a while, the Lord invites you to come up into deeper places of prayer just to let you know that there's something more there. And in fact, Teresa of Avila kind of suggests that some of the consolations that are received are at this stage of prayer are received precisely to help souls not become discouraged. Okay, as we enter into the chapter, you can't help but feel her compassion for those who are entering into this, as she would term, a, a very real trial. Yes. In order to get through this time of their life, this stage of prayer that God has blessed them with, uh, which is a stage really of aridity, uh, they need to cultivate a couple different virtues and that can only be cultivated by going through this aridity. One of the virtues is humility, and the other virtue she talks about is renunciation. These are so foundational for what God is about to do, the kind of gifts that he's about to inundate the soul with in the later st these stages that go deeper this stage is kind of the last of the beginning stages of prayer uh, at this stage of prayer gotten pretty good at meditation it doesn't take you a lot of effort to you know kind of figure out what you're going to pray about and then to enter into the lexio divina to use your imagination to think about the text and while you're doing this, you're able to be mindful with God, whereas before it took a lot more determination and effort. Now you're able to do it pretty well. And the temptation at this stage of the game is think, OK, I've arrived. I'm good at prayer. Earlier, earlier, I, I really struggled like everybody else does. But now, you know, I'm I'm the person who knows how to pray. I do it exactly for, you know, 25 minutes in the morning and 26 minutes in the evening. And these are the exact things I do each day. And I'm completely in control of this thing. In fact, I'm so good at this that you know, it's about time that I start teaching other people how to do it because they obviously can't follow the regiment that I'm able to follow. So these are the kind of thoughts that are going through your mind. You can kind of hear there's a little bit of an absence of humility there. And the other thing that's going on with this person, they're doing everything in their life up to now, their whole life of prayer is extremely controlled. It's reasonable. They've kind of figured it out with their own, their own self-reliant cognition about 
what they ought to do when and how it ought to go and and when it it should be done you know everything has its place and there's a place for everything in their spiritual life and they put it there and now they're doing pretty good and in that kind of what you might call success deeper abysses of their pride uh, aren't being dealt with and also a deeper kind of renunciation isn't taking place so what does god do to help a soul in this state all of a sudden discover its inner poverty and its radical need for God, what he does is these initial stages of prayer, the meditation that was going on, the calling to mind the presence of God, even the consolation that you might get from from beautiful vocal prayers like the Our Father and Hail Mary, all of a sudden, all of that is going to be taken away. And as it's taken away, what happens is you don't have the physical sensations you once did. I'm Earlier in the life of prayer, somebody just saying the name of Jesus might feel like kind of a, a feeling going up and down their spine and a warmth around their heart. And physically, you go, wow, uh, that prayer is really doing something. Now, at this stage of the game, you say the name of Jesus and there's no physical sensation that goes on. There's no emotional the emotions are, are pretty dry. Your emotions seem almost indifferent to the things you're thinking. And, and you, you try harder to meditate. And the harder you try to meditate at this stage of the game, it only produces more aridity. Because this is going on, the person suffering it thinks that they're suffering some kind of really severe and horrible trial. And, and Teresa Vavla says, this, this really isn't that. Uh, this mm-hmm. is... This is something that is just enough of a struggle to help you learn humility and to motivate you to practice renunciation. That's why it's there. And unless you become more humble and unless you go deeper in dying to yourself, the greater gifts that God wants to give you will be held back because you, you won't be able to deal with them. With those greater gifts are greater trials. These trials are just preparing you to deal with those. But if you won't even kind of accept these, then you'll rob yourself of the opportunity to grow. Reminds me so much of one of her fellow doctors, the the teachings of St. Catherine of Siena from the Dialogues, where in essence, there's that instruction from the Father to Catherine in this, this wonderful spiritual writing about the same thing, that sometimes we fall in love with the gift and stop loving the giver. And so there's that pulling back of the gifts in order to reestablish the relationship again. Yep. And because the Lord doesn't want us to be content where we're at spiritually. The moment you kind of feel like, okay, I've arrived, I got here, glad I finally made it and everything's in control. Uh, That kind of thinking never comes from the Lord, Uh, that the Lord, uh, he's more apt to to challenge you a little bit, to say something like, unless you uh, renounce yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And you kind of get, you're shocked by uh, that kind of word from the Lord in prayer, uh, because you think you're doing so well. I thought I had this thing down. It's it's a little bit like St. Peter St. Peter is able to correctly answer who the Lord is, that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus praises his faith. 
And so you think, well, I now I finally got Jesus down. Got you know, I, I'm finally here. And then Jesus begins to reveal to you something more deep about his mystery that he must suffer and die. And you hear that and you go, you go, oh no. And Jesus has to speak to you harshly. Get ye behind me, Satan. Peter went from the one to whom the Father reveals deep truth to Satan in a, in a single conversation. Well, it's a little bit like that for us. And the serenity that comes at this stage of prayer, God isn't punishing us at all. He's preparing us so that he can entrust us with more. Mm. And it's also quite lovely how Mother Teresa here, the Mother Teresa the Great, is imploring people, if that's the right word to use, or at least... Yeah, I think it is imploring people to be compassionate, to not enjoy the fact that someone who is suffering this, well, here you are, you were so prideful that kind of serves you right that you're going through this trial now. Instead, it's like, be gentle with them, you know, love them through this, because this is really hard. Yeah, this person going through it thinks it's harder than it actually is. And so Teresa's kind of like, you know, on a there's subtext here. Teresa's a little bit saying, you know, man up, you know, be tough. <laughs> on the other, on the other hand, she's counseling others to be patient, patient with these souls. And you can hear both things going on. If you're the one going through this, you'll find in this passage very subtly in a couple different places. You know, things aren't as bad as you think. You you can go through this. And on the other hand. For those who are working with souls who are in this place, a lot of words of compassion, trying to evoke a kind of understanding. Because as you progress, your own memory of this stage would tend to be, well, it really wasn't that bad. But if you say that just like that to somebody in this place, this is discouraging for them. They need to know that this is kind of normal and it's a difficult trial, but that if you will persevere there is great reward for persevering through this dryness. God is with the humility that's acquired in this and the detachment that's learned during this kind of prayer, these dwelling places. You develop a kind of inner freedom that you absolutely need for the greater graces of prayer that God wants to give. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, 
all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. For many of our listeners out there, Anthony, who are hearing this, they may ask the question, is this, is this the same thing as what St. Ignatius of Loyola called spiritual desolation? Is this what spiritual desolation is? Mm-hmm. Not in the sense of the Ignatian tradition, uh, and on this question, I refer you, I think uh, Father Timothy Gallagher is much more of an expert on these things than I am. But what I would say is in Ignatian desolation or the spiritual desolation that St. Ignatius talks about, you're unable to progress in virtue and you need to do everything you can to get out of it. Well, Teresa of Avila, she's not saying, hey, this is really terrible dryness. Go back to the first two mansions. She's saying, no, persevere through this. You can do it. And I know it's tough, but you can do this. There's something to learn here. And what is it that you learn? Virtue. And so this kind of trial is not a spiritual desolation because in desolation, you can't learn. You really cannot learn um, virtue. You can't acquire virtue. It's the courage is just robbed out of you. And that's why St. Ignatius says, do everything you can to get out of desolation. Here in this dryness, what Teresa of Avila is counseling is a little bit more detachment. If this is where the Lord wants you to be for a little while, thank and praise him that he's allowed you to be here, that he's allowed you to progress this far and persevere in acquiring the virtues that are proper to this kind of prayer because it's going to prepare you for something more. She assures you in this chapter that our Lord is never outdone in generosity. The more you give up, the more you renounce for love of him, the more he's going to bless you. The other thing that suggests to me that this isn't the same as desolation, again, desolation, you do what you can. You don't make big life changes, but you do what you can to get out of it. Here, it's a little bit more like, no, embrace this dryness and what Jesus is trying to to deal. And part of embracing the dryness that comes with this kind of prayer is embracing a little bit of the physical asceticism that a deeper love for Jesus requires. On this note, 
there is perhaps a little bit of a crossover with the Council of St. Ignatius. St. Ignatius says that when you're experiencing desolation, this is a good time to increase a little bit some of the mortifications and asceticism that you're doing. Maybe you fast a little bit more. Maybe you pray a little bit more. Maybe you make extra acts of devotion to the Lord and remind yourself of his presence. And Teresa Vavla, she says, souls at this stage, these are the ones who are in control of everything that's going on. And part of this dryness is to shake you out of a kind of faith that's merely convenient, comfortable, and, and familiar. As long as we stay with what's convenient, comfortable, and familiar, we'll never make progress. But if we learn to incline ourselves to what's not convenient, what's unfamiliar, what's uncomfortable, we make ourselves free to receive the graces God wants to give us. And that includes bodily convenience, bodily comfort, bodily familiarity. So, you know, we like to kneel for only so many minutes and then sit in our nice little chair. Well, Therese would say, don't be afraid of ruining your knees. God is not going to let you ruin your knees if he needs your knees for the service of God. Instead, let the person who has authority over you in your life be concerned about your knees. It, your concern shouldn't be about whether or not your knees are good or your knees are bad. Your concern should be about being obedient to your superior and your devotion to Jesus. This should be what's driving you. Anything else that any earthly concern, material gain or material loss, bodily harm that will come because you fasted too much, trust the superior, the authority that God gave you in life, uh, and let them tell you if you're going too far and be obedient to what they say when they say that you shouldn't be fasting as much, to listen to them. Otherwise, if the person with authority with you over your life, your parent or your spouse or anyone else who has a kind of a spirit, your confessor, or if you have one, a spiritual director, anyone else who has that kind of spiritual authority, let them be concerned about your bodily welfare. You be concerned about your spiritual devotion to Jesus. And again, Jesus is never, ever outdone in generosity. He's going to take your extra efforts and make something beautiful out of them. This teaching goes beyond what your initial question was about, mm -hmm. what this in relation to desolation, but just to wrap this up, this teaching, I think, is especially important in our society, our American society today. In our American society, well, we've become accustomed to a lot of material comforts, and we are blasted out with uh, uh, all kinds of commercials that tell us that we need to take care of our health all the time. And it might well be that we are more concerned about taking care of our health than we are devoted in our love to Jesus. This particular chapter, uh, chapter two in book three of the uh, Interior Castle, is kind of challenging us past that. If we are more concerned about our physical health than we are concerned about following Jesus, we will never make progress. In paragraph eight of this particular chapter, she reiterates the need for humility. This is a key uh, to practicing all the virtues, isn't it? Yes. Humility, she calls it very specifically an ointment for our wounds. And remember that people who are in this, they feel especially afflicted. And so how do you, it, what's the 
best way to soothe the afflictions that come at this stage of prayer. You soothe these afflictions that come through acts of humility. It sounds a little counterintuitive, but it actually works. In other words, if if you've been accustomed to a lot of consolations from God and feeling really close to him and having a lot of beautiful insights in prayer, and all of a sudden the insights go away, the, you don't have the warm emotional feelings that you once did in prayer. If you make a little act of humility and just say, well, Jesus, I, I never deserved those things anyway. So thank you for the kind of prayer you're giving me. I don't deserve anything other. I am your most unprofitable servant. If you adapt an attitude of heart like that before the Lord, all of a sudden, the self-torment that you sometimes engage in, you kind of, oh, what did I do wrong in my devotion to the Lord? Why has God taken this away and abandoned me? And those kinds of thoughts that you have that kind of are very self-occupied thoughts, you're thinking about yourself, a little act of humility will save you from a lot of that kind of really destructive self-reflection. Uh, an act of humility rescues you from your own big fat ego. Boy, do we even really understand what humility is these days, Anthony? I mean, or let alone all the virtues. It's, it's not something that we even hear so much. It possibly preached it on a Sunday. I mean, where are we supposed to discover again what the virtues are? Yeah. In this particular virtue, this virtue of humility, you can see the soul's suffering dryness and it's complaining about having suffered dryness. And that pride is behind that complaint isn't immediately obvious. We don't blame that on our pride. We tend to blame it on the fact that God's changed his activity for whatever reason. And we look for other people to scapegoat. Oh, this person's really bothering me right now. That's why I'm not getting the consolation in prayer. They're making it so that I'm not as virtuous as I used to be. All those, all those things. When the real problem is that be haunting us behind our prayer, it's not willed, but it's there. It's a weakness. And we need... This idea, you know, we're supposed to be praying, thy will be done. Instead, we're praying, my will be done. I want my consolations now. Mm -hmm. And by taking them away, God is giving us the opportunity to renounce our pride and humbly wait on him. He, and this is where, again, humility is the ointment for our soul. If we cooperate with God's work, as he takes away these consolations, he wants to give you so much better. So you've got to take these away. It's painful. It's hard. It's dry. But if if we can cultivate this humble attitude of whatever you want, Lord, it's my spiritual life. My life of prayer is all yours. You're the one in control. That humility puts us in the position of waiting upon the Lord. He, Teresa of Avila says, is our physician. He is our healer, and he's going to come and heal us and restore us, cleanse us of our pride when it's the right time to. Our job is to learn to wait on him and wait for him to accomplish his will rather than demand that he accomplish ours. 
there's a real consolation that can come to us by just even entering into, say, the reading of the Psalms. This has been something that has been experienced for centuries. Wait on the Lord. Peace be still. Know that I am God. There is always this, trust me. A spiritual exercise in some ways, isn't it? To be able to actively, with our will, and make it that our, our heart's desire, I will wait. I will suffer the waiting. Yes. And the other part of it, and it kind of goes with the humility that's required here, suffering the waiting, it would be wrong to look at this as sheerly passive, like I'm not doing anything at, at all. Mm-hmm. Waiting on the Lord is never a sheerly passive thing. It's true, we're waiting for his activity, so you could speak of a certain passivity to that extent, but we're looking at for more of an active passivity. We're waiting on the Lord with our eyes completely fixed on him, completely vigilant, completely alert to his slightest movement. To have that kind of alertness in our waiting on God, humility is required, but also penance is required. Works of penance are so, and this is why frequent confession is important, going on pilgrimages, not religious vacations. A religious vacation is where you do some religious things and have a very comfortable time. A pilgrimage is where you embrace hardship to express your devotion to the Lord. A pilgrimage requires a generosity on our part as we go along the way. And so it requires sacrifices all along the way. But if we're not a pilgrim, there are other kinds of penances we should do. And again, we usually regulate the penance we do. We usually regulate the dying to self we do, the renunciations we do, the fasting we do, we kind of regulate it according to what the most reasonable thing is, what's sensible. And what's reasonable and what's sensible is not what's alert to the coming of Jesus. It's not waiting for his will to be done. What's sensible and alert is entirely in control, our control. It's about our own will. If we want to be disposed and waiting on the will of God, we need to go beyond what's reasonable and do what is loving. Love goes beyond reason. Love go, embraces what's, what's inconvenient and it embraces hardships. It embraces all kinds of trials. It endures everything, says St. Paul. If we let our devotion to the Lord while we're waiting on him, if we let our devotion to the Lord be entirely consumed by our love for him, then our journey will quicken. If we limit ourselves only to what makes sense, what's comfortable, what we can understand, if we don't do any generous, extraordinary acts of love, especially at this stage in the midst of aridity, we will be going at a snail's pace to the Lord when we could be sprinting. We're right on the edge of entering into the, to the fourth and beyond, which we, takes us into quite an area in the interior castle. What would your counsel be in this moment? Well, if a soul is right now experiencing despondency, if it doesn't feel consoled, if it's trying to persevere, if it's noticed while we're talking, notice those little movements of pride, 
Notice that it's blaming everybody else for its lack of progress and not looking, looking at itself. Don't be discouraged by this. Don't be discouraged uh, or allow yourself to be despondent. Right now is a time to rouse yourself and rouse your devotion, even though you can't feel it, even though everything is arid and God seems so far away. Rouse up your might. Take heart because the Lord is doing something beautiful inside you. And the more you take heart when nothing seems to be going on, the more you offer prayers, even if they're just vocal prayers, you can't get, you can't meditate because it's just too dry and too hard. And all you can do is say in hell, Mary and our father and entrust yourself to the Lord. If that's all you can do, do it. God is never outdone in generosity. This time in particular, when you're being tested, this is a time to rouse up your devotion, to show the Lord how much you love him, how much you are grateful to him for all that he's done for you. And if you will do that, there are blessings that are waiting for you that are so beautiful. And you've just hastened the moment when those blessings will be showered upon you. I can't say that it will happen in a week or a month or a year. I can't say anything like that. But I can tell you, whenever we rouse up our devotion and do penance and make renunciations and offer prayers and do acts of mercy and acts of kindness towards others and show compassion to others, when we feel arid inside, whenever we do that, it draws Jesus's heart to us like nothing else. It delights him in a way that nothing else can delight him. And this is exactly what Teresa of Avila is saying. As we end this, she speaks about how God yearns to lavish joys on us. When these joys are from God, they come laden with love and strength, which aid the soul on its way and increase its good works and virtues. Do not imagine that it is unimportant whether you try to obtain these graces or not. If you are not to blame, the Lord is just. What he refuses in one way, his majesty will give you in another. As he knows how, his secret ways are mysterious, and doubtless he will do what is best for you. So this is important. And then one final thing, too. We came to this reflection, but I... Uh, underline Teresa of Avila at the very end of this underlines this too. In aridity, obedience is more important than ever. Submit things to those who have authority in your life, whether they're your confessor, your spiritual director, your pastor, your husband, your wife, your parents. Submit what's going on in your heart to them and follow the duties of your state in life with all your might in the midst of this. It's a tremendous act of devotion that calls down the glory of God. And again, God is never outdone in generosity. Anthony, I just have to add this as a caveat. I'm just listening to you. This is the opportunity to tame our wills. It's no longer about being drawn by feelings or those types of things that are more surface, but this is really about taming the will, isn't it? That's right. Taming our will and opening up our hearts to a deeper kind of fortitude, inner strength. Uh, God wants us to rely on him 
with a heroic love. And he's using this aridity to give us the freedom to choose that love. And if we choose it, he's going to give it to us. Choosing the love of God, this is the taming of our wills. This is the purifying of our wills, freeing us from things that maybe will hold us back. I happen to believe that we live at a time where Christians are going to come under more and more persecution. And if more of us during these times of aridity would seek to renew our devotion to the Lord and to give our all to him in the midst of this, if we would do that, as persecutions come and go, has uh, whether or not they're violent, whether or not they're just against our reputations or whatever, you've developed an inner reserve to be able to listen and keep your eyes fixed on the Lord no matter what happens. If you can do this interiorly during periods of dryness, when it comes exteriorly, you're already prepared for it. This does prepare us, doesn't it, for what will be offered in the mansions to come. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you really need to have this so that you can begin to discern in a very concrete way in the next mansions. Isn't that correct? Yep. Yep. In order to make progress from here, there's we're going to see a deeper kind of fortitude become more important. These earlier times required a lot of determination, perseverance, a kind of courage to change your life from one way to another. A different, deeper kind of fortitude is going to be required of us to go forward. This kind of fortitude is going to require us to deal with the sin and the brokenness of our own humanity on an even deeper level. Renouncing sin and no longer sinning habitually, this is huge. This is very important. But the healing of God isn't simply to keep preserve us from sin. He wants to totally transform our existence so that we can love in new and different and dynamic and astonishing ways. To do this inner transformation of our hearts this deeper new kind of fortitude will be required. A fortitude that is not afraid to submit all our voids and adequacies and weaknesses to the living God. Thank you so much, Anthony. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Chris. This opportunity to talk to you about these things, it's good for my own life of prayer. So God bless you and all our listeners. You too. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you will find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.